So friends, to begin today, I'd like to ask you to take a moment and consider all of the miracles that Jesus did. Think of Jesus walking on water. Think of Jesus calming the storm. Think of Jesus changing water into wine. Think of all of his miraculous healings. Now, some of these miracles appear in the Gospel of Matthew, some in the Gospel of Mark, some in Luke, and some in John. But of all the miracles that Jesus did, only one, only one is found in all four Gospel accounts. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Why? Why this one and not any other? Now, to me, the most incredible, spectacular miracles that Jesus ever did are walking on water and calming the storm. To me, if any miracles deserve to be recorded in all four Gospels, it's those. So why is the feeding of the 5,000 included in all four Gospel accounts? Well, maybe there's something that we're missing. Maybe there's something that we don't see or get. And maybe... Just maybe, this story deserves a fresh look. So if you will, open up your Bibles to page 97 in the New Testament, or you can open up your bulletins and find the insert with the scripture passage printed on it. The story goes like this. One day, Jesus and his disciples are out in the country, they're not in some town or village. They're nowhere near civiliz civilization. They are out in the sticks. Now, some versions say that they are in a remote or solitary place. And yet, even there, Jesus has drawn a crowd. The people of the region have heard his wise teaching. They have seen his supernatural works. And so, when Jesus goes somewhere, they follow. They seek and pursue him even if it means leaving their comfort, leaving their homes and villages, and going to remote and solitary places. Look with me at verse 2. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. And so we know that a large crowd was following him, but exactly how large was that crowd? Well, the most obvious answer, the natural answer, is 5,000. Of course. After all, the miracle is called the feeding of the 5,000. It seems like a silly question, right? Well, maybe it's not so silly. Now, this sanctuary right here holds 500 people. Actually, when every pew is full, when there's a bottom in every seat, when the balcony is stuffed, and when there are extra chairs that line the aisles, the sanctuary holds 425 people. But just for the sake of easy math, let's say that it holds 500. This means that that crowd, that day, a crowd of 5,000, would take up no less than 10 of these sanctuaries when it's absolutely packed. That is the stated size of the crowd, 5,000. Now, notice that I say the stated size of the crowd, because there's something that you may or may not know. In that day and age, when a census was taken or a crowd estimate was given, only adult males were counted. Don't forget that this is a patriarchal society. Women are not included in the count. Children are not included in the count. Only adult males. And so the figure of 5,000 can mislead the modern reader. Because women and children were not accounted for, the figure is deceptively low. 
Let's just say that each male, each adult male in the crowd that day had a wife. Not an unreasonable assumption. That makes the size of the crowd, boom, right away, 10,000. Let's just say that each man and wife had one child, conservative estimate. That makes the size of the crowd 15,000. Let's say that each man and and woman had two children, again, a conservative estimate in a culture that prized childbearing. Suddenly, the size of the crowd is 20,000. Of course, we weren't there that day. We'll never know that the crowd could have been less than 20,000, but then again, the crowd may have been more than 20,000. And so now, you're not just looking at 10 sanctuaries. You're looking at 40 sanctuaries like this when they're absolutely packed to the gills. By this time of day, the people are hungry. It's almost supper time. But there's a problem. Remember, they're out in the country, far away from civilization. They can't just go to a restaurant or a bakery, can't just run down the street to Publix or Kroger. They can't just go to to the kitchen and, and open up the fridge or the pantry. And so there they are, thousands of hungry people out in the sticks. It's late afternoon, and darkness will eventually fall. And because they have to return to their homes on foot, uh, without cars or the benefit of streetlights, they ought to get moving. Now, it would make the most sense for Jesus to dismiss the crowd right then so that the people could be on their way. That would be the most practical, conventional thing to do. But of course, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus turns to Philip, the disciple, and says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Philip, there are a bunch of hungry people here. How can we satisfy their need? And Philip is incredulous. He looks at Jesus as if Jesus has two heads. Lord, he says, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of these people to get a little. Now, one denarius equaled one day's wage. So if you work for a day, you get one denarius. We can do the math. If a single denarius equals payment for one day's work, how long would a person have to work to earn 200 denarii? 200 days, of course. Now imagine that person working every single day of the week, all seven days, never taking a day off, How long would it take that person to earn 200 denarii to uh, take over half the year? Over six months of work. Now imagine that person taking those wages, over half of his annual income, and using all of it to buy food. That would still not be enough for each person in the crowd to get more than a single bite. That's what Philip is saying. Lord, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. But then someone pipes up. It's a little boy. Boy in the crowd goes up to Andrew, the disciple, and tugs on Andrew's cloak. And the boy shows something to Andrew.
man. So the boy goes up to Andrew, the disciple, and tugs on his cloak and says, Sir, I've, I've got something. And he shows them this, bread and fish. Anybody want sushi? <laughs> Choir, are you hungry? You want an early lunch? So the boy goes up to Andrew and shows him the bread and the fish. Now, the loaves right here, this is brioche. This is fancy French bread. It's sweet and delicious. I could eat a whole loaf in one sitting. But the bread that the boy had that day, well, verse 9, look at verse 9 with me. The Bible carefully points out that the five loaves are barley loaves. And that day, that's the type of food that poor people would eat. Those with greater means preferred bread made of wheat, but this boy has bread made of barley, which means that he and his family are poor. And these loaves right here, these are full loaves of bread, but the bread that the boy had that day, they would have been much smaller. They would have been more of a personal size. Uh, they would have been almost like dinner rolls, uh, perfect for a day trip into the country. Uh, and these fish right here, these are whole fresh fish, uh, but the fish that the boy had that day, they would have been dried or pickled, much smaller and easier to transport. So this poor little boy tugs on Andrew's cloak and says, sir, I, 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 know, I know it's not much, and it's going to seem silly, but I mean, here, I've got five loaves of bread, and I've got two fish, and, and it won't go very far. I know that, and I, I'm probably being stupid, but I mean, if, if you want it, you can have it. I mean, it's, I'm willing to share. It's, it, it may help a few people. Friends, do you know what this is? It's an offering. An offering. It's the same thing that we do every week in worship. It's the same thing that we give every week when the plates are passed through the pews. The Constitution of the Presbyterian Church says this, the Christian life is an offering of oneself to God. In worship, the people are presented with the costly self-offering of Jesus Christ, and they're led to respond by offering to him their lives, gifts, and goods. I love the beautiful simplicity of this story in John chapter 6. There's a clear need, and someone offers to help. And who is that person? Is he an adult? Some brave adult who is well-established in life and who has a little bit of money to spare? No, the offering comes from a humble little child. And it comes from someone poor, someone whose mouth was filled with barley bread. It comes from a person who can ill afford to give an offering, but who gives it anyway. It comes from a humble little child. Now we're coming to the close of a capital campaign. We're trying to raise money to build an addition uh, to the church building on the south end, and we've set an ambitious goal of $8 million. Well, two weeks ago, I stood right here, and I gave a challenge to the children of the church. I said, children, I want you to come back next week on Dedication Sunday and bring money to give to the church. 
It can be any amount, a penny, a nickel, a dime, a dollar, but I want you to give your own money. Don't just ask your parents. Give your own money. Maybe you can open up your piggy bank. Maybe you can do some extra chores around the house and take the money that you earn and put it in the plate. Whatever you do, I challenge you to give money to God's work in the world. Well, the next week, the children came back to church and brought this. It's my banker's bag. Little Ziploc bag. You can see that there are uh, lots of loose bills. Some ones, lots of ones, a couple of fives. There's uh, quarters, lots of loose change. There are a couple of envelopes uh, with a little bit more money stuffed inside. Uh, do you want to know how much is in this bag? The grand total is $61.25. $61.25. Now, we are trying to raise eight million dollars. What is $61.25 to $8 million? What is this to that? I'll tell you. It's everything. In the eyes of heaven, it's everything. In the economy of God, it's everything. In this case, the size of the offering doesn't matter. What matters is their willingness to share their eagerness to respond to God's grace with generosity of their own. Uh, what matters is their open-heartedness, their open-handedness, their desire to join with God in God's work in the world. It matters less what they give, it matters more that they give and how they give. Freely, without obligation, and with love, humility, and thanksgiving. What is $61.25 to $8 million. It's the same thing as five loaves of bread and two fish to feed a hungry crowd of thousands. It may not seem like much, but clearly and emphatically, the Bible tells us that the size of the offering doesn't matter. What matters is the hands in which the offering is placed. And so let's continue with the story. Andrew, the disciple, goes to Jesus and says, Lord, this humble little boy has a humble little offering. And Jesus looks at the humble little boy with his humble little offering, and he gets a twinkle in his eye, and he smiles as if to say, watch this. Jesus asks everyone to sit down. He takes the offering, he looks to heaven, and he gives thanks. Now, it doesn't seem like there's much to be thankful for, but Jesus is thankful for it all the same. Jesus is thankful for whatever is there, even if it's only a little. And in the hands of Jesus, a little can become a lot. Jesus then serves the bread and the fish to everyone in the crowd, and everyone takes as much as they want or need. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Of the bread and fish, the people took as much as they wanted. The people ate until they had their fill. No one held back. No one was trying to be polite that day. Everyone enjoyed all that they could have. They were filled full like they had just gone to an all-you-can-eat buffet. So think about this. A crowd the size of 40 of these sanctuaries 
packed full. Everyone has as much as they can eat, and all of them are filled by nothing more than what's on this table right now. Friends, that is a miracle. A naked, spectacular miracle. And if that were it, if the miracle stopped right there, it would be one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did. But the miracle doesn't stop there. No, just like the loaves and the fish themselves, the miracle just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It it, it seems to multiply. Just when you think that's it, there's more. Look with me at verse 12. When the people had eaten their fill, Jesus told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Amazingly, there are leftovers. Even though there are only five loaves of bread and two fish for thousands of hungry people, somehow, someway, there's food to spare. And not wanting it to go to waste, Jesus instructs the disciples to gather all the leftover food. They obey, and when they do, we come to verse 13. They gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Again, my friends, let me illustrate. Twelve baskets. Count them up. Okay, so five loaves of fish, or five loaves of bread, two fish, 12 baskets of leftovers. Look up here. What do you see? What do you notice? There's more food at the end than there is at the beginning. The amount of food left over is greater than the amount of food to start. Forty sanctuaries of people are fed, everyone has as much as they want, and somehow, someway, the leftovers are greater than the main course. There's more food at the end than there is at the beginning. Can we not see why all four gospel writers said, I have got to write this down. I have got to tell this story. And I'm so glad they did, because this story gives us so many important lessons. Jesus is not only able to meet our needs, my friends, but he delights in doing so. He cares about our lives, he sees our needs, and he is glad to do what's best according to his wise providence. He loves us more than we can comprehend, and is able to provide over and above what we can ask or imagine. Jesus can take a little and make it a lot. Jesus can take a few and make them many. Jesus can take what's small and make it great. Sisters and brothers in Christ, with a Lord like this, how can we worry? With a Lord like this, what have we to fear? With a Lord like this, is there not always reason to hope? If Jesus can do this with five loaves of bread and two fish, what can he do with us? 
What can he do with our meager faith? What can he do with our small righteousness? What can he do with our little lives? You know, there's a really beautiful word that's in this passage. The problem is you would never see it because it's in Greek. That's the original language of the New Testament, Greek. And that word uh, comes when Jesus uh, takes the offering and he looks to heaven and he gives thanks. The word for give thanks is eucharisteo. Eucharisteo. From that Greek word, eucharisteo, we get the name of this table right here. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. Many churches and traditions call it the Eucharist. Give thanks. Friends, this is our true Thanksgiving table. Now we're in the middle of November. It's almost Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving is not just a day. It's not just a week or a month or a season. My friends, Thanksgiving is a way of life in the kingdom of God. And this is our forever Thanksgiving feast, which we celebrate every time we gather together. And friends, what did Jesus serve for the Thanksgiving feast? Did he give us bread and fish? Maybe something better, some sort of heavenly food, a manna from heaven? No. Jesus gave us the very best thing, himself. In John chapter 6, just a few verses after this miracle, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's the next day, and he's explaining the miracle to them. And he says, guys, you thought yesterday was great, and you thought the food that you got yesterday was pretty good. Let me tell you, I've got something even better for you that I want to offer. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus loves to satisfy us with good things. And of course, the most satisfying thing that Jesus can give is himself. He laid down his life, his flesh and his blood, so that we may live forever with God. And so when we come to this meal every week, we are to give thanks. We are to have great joy, profound joy, for all that the Lord has done for us. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.